When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town. My hands are full all day, every day. I love it. Asante, as your TurboTax expert, I'll make your moves count, guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert! Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Charts with Dan. These last couple weeks, we've been talking about franchise success. This week, we're talking about somewhat of a franchise disaster at the box office, with Shazam! Fury of the Gods underperforming even the conservative box office estimates, both internationally and domestically. We'll have a full breakdown of that and where the future of the DCEU may be headed, which actually is kind of nowhere. But before we get to that, I want to thank my partner here on the show, as always, Carbon Health. As we've been talking about for a while now, Carbon Health's locations have always offered urgent care, COVID and RSV testing, vaccinations, and more. But they're now rolling out primary health care in states like California and Massachusetts, where it's available now. And it's all related to connected care, which is the idea that your bodily health and your mental health are connected. That's why there are mental health specialists that are working for Carbon Health right now. You can check out the Carbon Health app right now to see if there's a location near you, or you can use the app to do virtual care if you can't get to a physical location. I am happy to have Carbon Health on board as my partner here on the show because I believe in what they do, which is to make healthcare as available as possible to as many people as possible, as affordably as possible. And I want to thank them as always for being my partner here on the show. Let's turn our attention now to the box office for this past weekend. And we've been talking about movies where the estimates went up as the weekend went on. Well, Shazam! Fury of the Gods was going down all weekend and the actual numbers actually came down even from the estimates on on Sunday. When all was said and done, Shazam! Fury of the Gods earned $30.1 million, a first place opening, but that's about the only victory it can claim this past weekend. We will look at how that stacks up against the opening of the last Shazam! movie back in 2019, as well as the rest of the DC Universe. In second place is Scream 6 with a 61% drop in Week 2. That's not a bad horror movie drop, although we've seen better in the genre recently. $17.3 million. Pretty close behind in its third week was Creed 3, which drops 43.6%, still a popular choice for moviegoers, a $15.3 million total. At number four is the Adam Driver Dinosaur Film 65, which drops 52.5% in its second week for a $5.8 million total. In fifth place is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania clinging onto the top five, a 40.9% drop in its fifth week of release with a $4.2 million total. Not far behind that movie, though, in sixth place in its fourth week is Cocaine Bear, a 36.7% drop and a $3.9 million total. Jesus Revolution stays put right where it was last week at number seven in its fourth week, a 32.1% drop and 
drop and a $3.4 million total. Champions drops 39.7% from its debut last weekend for a $3.1 million total. And then the what I call the Christmas 2, the two year-end 2022 releases that have had really impressive runs at the box office. Avatar The Way of Water is at number 9 in its 14th week of release, a 21% drop for a total just over $2 million. And Puss in Boots The Last Wish spends what may be its last weekend in the top 10. Its 13th week of release had an 11.6% drop and a $1.5 million total. Dropping out of the top 10 this week is Demon Slayer to the Swordsmith Village, which still is not listed in a lot of resources when it comes to last weekend's box office, but it was reported from other sources that aren't box office mojo in the numbers and a lot of the box office specific sites that it was in the top 10 last weekend, and I can tell you that it is still playing in some theaters. It's still playing in my local marketplace, so I don't know why it's still not listed, but I'm counting it as dropping out of the top 10 this weekend. When we look at what I like to call the road to recovery, if Shazam! Fury of the Gods had done well, we might have seen a little bit of an uptick or maybe at least stayed about where we were last week, but instead we see a steep decline from last weekend. The total box office for last weekend was under $100 million for all movies when you would think that a movie of Shazam's caliber might open to over $100 million, but that's just not quite where we are. We're still just kind of right in that line between where we were pre-pandemic and where we've been since. If John Wick Chapter 4 opens to expectations, we should see a nice little uptick, and then the Super Mario Brothers movie as well. We'll see how that one does, so we could be flirting with that blue line in the next few weeks. We just don't know. So let's talk about Shazam! Fury of the Gods, an opening just over $30 million, which is not good for a movie of its size. It had a budget of over $120 to $125 plus million, which is lower, at least on the lower end for a superhero film, but when you add in marketing and everything else, and just how low this debut was, that's still not a great debut, and it really doesn't compare well to the first Shazam! movie, which came out in 2019 and had an even lower budget at right around $100 million, although once you adjust for inflation, it might be about even. So let's look at the opening weekend of Shazam versus the opening weekend of Shazam Fury of the Gods. And you see here side by side that domestically Fury of the Gods opened 43.7% lower than the first Shazam movie, $30.1 million to $53.5 million. And it was even worse news internationally. There was a 66.1% drop for Shazam! Fury of the Gods opening weekend versus the first Shazam! movie's opening. The first Shazam! was able to bank over $100 million internationally, Fury of the Gods $34.6 million, and before you ask, the first Shazam! movie opened in 79 markets in its international opening, Shazam! Fury of the Gods opened in 77. So it's not like there were a whole bunch of countries that were off the table for Fury of the Gods this past weekend. When you look at the total worldwide opening, there's a 59.2% drop-off, $158.6 million for the first Shazam film in its first worldwide weekend, $64.7 million for Fury of the Gods. And this is a big reason why. Look at the opening in China, an 85.5% drop from the first Shazam to the second. The first Shazam brought in a $29.6 million opening in China. Shazam Fury of the Gods, just a $4.3 million opening. If you want to see how attitudes have changed in China when it comes to some of the blockbuster films from Hollywood, look no further than that 85.5% drop.
And we're also debuting here the franchise tracker for the DCEU or whatever you want to call it. It's going to be coming to a close, whatever you do want to call it. And you see right now, first by domestic gross, that Shazam Fury of the Gods is of course in 12th place, but it's currently behind what I like to call the Pandemic 3, which would be Wonder Woman 1984, the first film, I believe, or the, at least the first major film that HBO Max did their day and date experiment with back in late 2020. Then we have the Suicide Squad from summer of 2021, which was in more theaters, but also available day and date on HBO Max with a $55.8 million domestic total, and then Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous, etc., which banked $84.1 million in theaters in 2020, but had its run curtailed sharply by the closures due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So really, when you're looking at quote-unquote normal box office conditions, it really ends at number eight there, which was the first Shazam. It brought in $140.3 million. Black Adam's there at number seven, Justice League at number six, and then the top five, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Suicide Squad, and Man of Steel. It is pretty crazy though when you look at the DC universe proper, not including movies like the Batman and Joker, but the canon DCEU, they haven't had a movie earn over $200 million since 2018. So it's been almost five years. The pandemic has a lot to do with that. But Shazam! Fury of the Gods was never going to be a massive blockbuster. The question now is, can it break $100 million? Even if it's just a symbolic victory, can it beat out those Pandemic 3 movies? It just depends on what its legs are at the box office. We've got John Wick coming up. We've got Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves coming up. We've got the Super Mario Brothers movie coming up. All in the next two to three weeks, it's going to be tough for Fury of the Gods to keep track. The only silver lining is that audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes were fairly strong and the cinema score wasn't terrible. So it could be that word of mouth among theater goers is better than critical word of mouth, but there is so much competition. When we look at the franchise tracker for the DCEU by domestic adjusted gross, it's going to need to get above about $97.8 million to beat Birds of Prey. But look at Wonder Woman. Again, the inflation effect is somewhat exaggerated because inflation is very bad right now, but over $500 million dollars adjusted for inflation. Batman v Superman over $400 million adjusted for inflation. Same with Suicide Squad and Aquaman. Man of Steel there at $375 million adjusted for inflation. Even Justice League back in 2017 at $281 million. And then you have a big fall off over $100 million until you hit Black Adam at 172.8. The first Shazam still comes in right behind Black Adam. And then we have those pandemic films. Regardless of where Shazam Fury of the Gods ends up, it will not compare favorably to any of these films that came out in the traditional exhibition structure. And the question is going to be, what happened? Could it be that people aren't interested because they know that this universe is going to end? I think that that's a distinct possibility. However, I also don't think that a movie like The Flash, which is critical to the DC universe, is going to be dead in the water. I think that there just wasn't a whole lot of excitement around this film. There was some marginal excitement around the first Shazam film. It did all right, but the question would be, should they have made that sequel? Was the support there to make the sequel? I think if the pandemic had never happened, maybe, but I think it's also a possibility that this movie was just always going to underperform because audiences just didn't want to see more of Shazam.
Our final tracker here is the DCEU by Worldwide Gross, and you see Shazam there at $64.7 million, over $100 million behind Wonder Woman 1984, and it's got a lot of work to do to get up there into that range. But if it does get to that point, it could leap over Wonder Woman 1984, it could leap over the Suicide Squad, but I don't think it gets to Birds of Prey at $200 million. Maybe it does, maybe I'm wrong. It's a possibility, but it's certainly not going to get to the global gross of the first Shazam at $300 $63.5 million. So again, not comparing favorably to the theatrical DC films pre-pandemic. I feel bad for everybody that put in a lot of effort into this film. I know that uh, Rachel Zegler and David F. Sandberg have said publicly that they think that people were being a little mean to the movie. They don't quite get the criticism. And of course, they're going to like the movie. They made it. I didn't particularly enjoy the film. I thought it was very middle of the road. And I, I liked the first Shazam film a lot. But I think that that is certainly an enhanced effect. I don't know if it ever would have done well, but it's definitely enhanced by the fact that people just don't see the stakes in seeing this film. And honestly, it may have even been hurt by Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which also had very middling word of mouth. Perhaps some people saw that movie and said, well, you know what? I just saw the last Marvel film and it wasn't very good. I don't really feel like shelling out money to go see the next DC film because it looks like more of the same. We're never really going to quite know why movies do what they do. That's one of the big aims of this show is to come up with theories. But the fact of the matter is that Shazam! Fury of the Gods is a definite box office disappointment, and coming on the heels of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, you now have big tentpole releases from both Marvel and DC that are underperforming at the box office, certainly to different degrees, but definitely underperforming. Some movies, though, that are not underperforming are the latest in the Scream and Creed series, and let's look at how those movies are doing. They were the number two and number three movies at the domestic box office this past weekend. Looking at the franchise tracker first for Scream, Scream 6 is getting closer to overtaking 2022 Scream at the domestic box office. It's about $5.7 million away, and then it's a pretty close jump there to get to Scream 3. Of course, that journey gets a little harder when you look at it adjusted for inflation. Scream 6 is still about seven point five million dollars from overtaking last year's scream but from there it's got to pretty much double its take to make what scream 3 made back in the year 2000 it's not going to do that so it looks like scream 6 is going to settle in there at number four on the scream franchise tracker when you look at inflation adjusted numbers although worldwide it's got a little more room to maneuver right now it's at number five it has outdone the 95.9 million dollars from scream 4 it's about 23 million dollars behind last year's scream to take number four on that slot and then it only has to make about $173.1 million to become the highest grossing Scream movie worldwide. These numbers aren't adjusted for inflation because it's very difficult to adjust worldwide numbers for inflation, but I think it has an okay shot at besting the first Scream film for the top grossing franchise film worldwide. But there's another movie that's out now that has more than an okay shot at some of these records, and that's Creed 3, which as I mentioned, we were looking at the top five, is performing very well still. People are still heading out to see it. Let's see where it looks when you look at the Rocky Creed franchise, and we are very close. Actually, as you're watching this video, enough box office receipts have probably come in to make Creed 3 the highest grossing film in the Rocky Creed franchise unadjusted for inflation. That's very important. We'll see the difference in these two charts in just a moment. But still, in the record books, Creed 3 is going to go down as the highest grossing Rocky Creed film of all time until you look at how money has changed over time. Right now, Creed 3 is at number seven when you look at the numbers adjusted for inflation, not number two. It's about $10 million behind Creed 2 and pretty much that same amount behind the original Creed. But again, Creed 3 is just going to park right there at number five because then you take a 
could jump up to $351 million adjusted for inflation for Rocky II. So Creed III is popular, but nowhere near as popular as the first four Rocky films were. Just to kind of put things into perspective, that's not taking anything away from Creed III. When we look at the Rocky Creed franchise by worldwide gross, Creed has also been moving up those charts. It's less than a million dollars away from overtaking the original Rocky films worldwide gross. Again, this is unadjusted for inflation. It's at number three on that list right now. And then it's got to bank about another $75 million to overtake Rocky IV worldwide. I don't know if it's going to do that. It may do that. But again, Creed III making some real inroads when it comes to worldwide box office and of course the domestic box office list unadjusted for inflation. And yes, you can always make that caveat that the original Rocky films were more popular, but still it is pretty impressive for the third movie in a reinvigorated franchise to be doing better than the previous films, and in some places challenging the records of more recent films in that franchise. And so regardless of how you want to cut it, I think that the box office performance, especially given the budget for Creed 3, has been pretty impressive. Then we have the number five film with the domestic box office, which is Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and a quick update when we look at the MCU franchise tracker. I tried color coding it last week, and I asked for input, and I got so many suggestions, and they were all great suggestions, but so many of them were completely contradictory that I just decided to drop the color coding that I did before and go back to the way that I was doing it. So basically, all the movies in white are, you would call them pre-pandemic movies. The movies in yellow are the phase four movies, 2020 to 2022, and then we have Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania there in green. And as you can see, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania is at number 25, unadjusted for inflation. It's right behind the gross for Thor the Dark World, so it's going to overtake Thor the Dark World. Yay! But after that, it's a pretty steep climb. It looks like it will probably bypass the domestic gross of Ant-Man and the Wasp and get up there right around Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And the question is, how close to Doctor Strange's total will it get? I doubt that it's going to get to $250 million and challenge Captain America, the Winter Soldier. When you look at it adjusted for inflation, though, you see Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, down at number 28, ahead of only Black Widow and Eternals, at numbers 29 and 31, and then The Incredible Hulk at number 30. And it becomes a real question now as far as if or how much this movie is going to overtake the original Ant-Man's gross adjusted for inflation. And then you have Captain America, The First Avenger, and Thor, two phase one movies that I think it is unlikely to overtake. So not great news as we continue on for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and it really hasn't been a whole lot of great news. And then we have the MCU franchise tracker by Worldwide Gross, and again, you have Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania there at number 25 and I don't think that it is going to overtake the final worldwide gross for the original Ant-Man film even at 518.8 million I think it's going to park there at number 25 worldwide which puts it there with Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings Eternals Black Widow and then three phase one films Thor Captain America the First Avenger and the Incredible Hulk and with a $200 million budget, this is what we've been talking about. It's not just the fact that the movie is making what it's making. $400 million to some films is great, but it's how much it costs, and it's the expectation and the importance of that film inside of the Marvel Universe. And it may very well be that we're starting to see the fallout from the performance of some of these Marvel films, perhaps critically, perhaps box office-wise, and then some of the shows on Disney+. Plus, Because it was reported yesterday by several trades, it was broken by The Hollywood Reporter, that one of the most veteran Marvel executives, Victoria Alonso, who's been a producer in some capacity on every single MCU film, going back to Iron Man, and a top executive at Marvel since 2012, 
left Marvel last Friday in what was characterized as a sudden and unexpected departure by these early reports. Victoria Alonso was the executive in charge of post-production and visual effects since 2021. And I think this is particularly important because number one, visual effects is an area where many fans of the Marvel films have been particularly critical of recent entries. And the visual effects side of Marvel has been heavily criticized in recent years by visual effects artists who say that they are being underpaid and overworked in order to deliver on unrealistic timelines and that creators are being allowed to keep working around and changing things at the last minute. Is this connected to the performance of Marvel films and this sort of bad buzz that's out there about the visual effects side of the Marvel machine? We don't really know. So this is something to keep an eye on. We have the departure of Victoria Alonso. We have Kevin Feige saying that they are ramping down production a bit, that they're going to work on developing a little more. These seem to be reactions to some of the issues that have come up with the MCU and Marvel films and that we're seeing with Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania right now. And we will have to stay tuned to see just what happens with the MCU because they could be doing a little bit of damage control, no pun intended, based on so many of these recent outcomes. There's so much more box office to get to, but before we do, I want to thank one of the sponsors for this week, Babbel. You know, we all like to say that we learned a language in high school or college, but let's be real, how much do you really remember? I had three years of Spanish that I've mostly forgotten, but learning a new language has changed completely thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions because it's a fun and easy way to learn a new language. Babbel's 15-minute lessons mean that you can learn on the go, and they were created by over 100 language experts, not AI. You can choose from over 14 different languages, including Spanish, German, French, and Italian, and Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. I've been doing some of these language lessons for the last few weeks, and it's surprising how easily some of this stuff comes back because of the way that Babbel teaches you, whether you're learning for the first time or relearning what you've forgotten. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash Dan. That's Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Dan, D-A-N, for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Let's look at the top performing films for 2023, the domestic winter spring box office. So these are all movies that have been released since January 1st. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania is the number one movie of the year for now at $205.9 million. Creed 3 is at number two with $127.7 million. Megan is at number three at $95 million. Scream 6 moves up one spot to number four with $75.8 million. Cocaine Bear moves down one spot to number five. And then the six through ten spots stay the same. Jesus Revolution at six, 80 for Brady at seven, Knock at the Cabin at eight, Missing at nine, and Plane at ten. That's right, Shazam! Fury of the Gods didn't even open high enough to make Make the top 10 grossing movies for 2023. And if you told me even that Shazam! Fury of the Gods was going to be a disappointment at the box office, that it would open lower than $32.1 million, I would have had a very hard time believing that. Looking at 2023 calendar grosses, so these are all tickets sold since January 1st. Avatar The Way of Water looks like it's going to stay the champ for at least a few more weeks. We'll see how movies like John Wick Chapter 4 and Dungeons and & Dragons and especially Super Mario Brothers perform. But right now, it's at number one with $277.2 million. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is at two. Creed 3 is at number three. Puss in Boots The Last Wish gets dropped down one spot to number four. Megan is at number five. Scream 6 moves up two spots to number six. A Man Called Otto drops down one to number 
number seven, Cocaine Bears at number eight, and then Jesus Revolution and 80 for Brady round out the list at number 10. Let's look at the per theater averages for this past weekend. And at number one is a film out of France called The Innocent, which is directed, co-written, and starring Louis Garrel. It won the Best Supporting Actress and Best Original Screenplay awards at the Césars, which are the French Oscars, just a few months ago. And it brought in over $12,000 in just one theater this past weekend. At number two is Shazam! Fury of the Gods. It brought in over $7,300 in each of its 4,000 theaters, followed by Scream 6 with $4,750. $15 in its 3,600 theaters. A 4K restoration of the film Dry Long So is at number four. It brought in over $4,500 in one theater. Dry Long So is a 1998 film from writer, director, and star Colleen Smith. And then at number five is Creed 3, bringing in just over $4,400 in 3,477 theaters. Looking at the top five films in limited release, so these are movies in 1,000 theaters or fewer, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin have teamed up once again for a movie called Moving On. It seems like these two are pretty much only working with each other right now. It opened in 794 theaters, made $891,000 total, but I want to take a closer look at this poster because I understand that there is some airbrushing and work done on just about every poster, but these two Hollywood legends, Lily Tomlin, okay, that looks a little bit like Lily Tomlin. What is going on with Jane Fonda here? She was just in a movie called 80 for Brady, which seemed to be about embracing age, etc., and yet this does not look like Jane Fonda. This looks like, and I was trying to come up with the proper analogy, and the best that I could come up with is White Medea. This looks nothing like Jane Fonda. I understand that you want to, you know, kind of put your best foot forward, or, you know, perhaps stars have input on how they look on movie posters, but if I were to pass this and you were to cover up the names, I might guess that Lily Tomlin is one of these people. I would never guess that the other one is Jane Fonda. This is just a really, really bad poster. Not well done at all. At number two is Willem Dafoe in the film Inside. It opened in 357 theaters with a total of just over half a million dollars. At number three is the Indian film Tujuti Main Makar, which actually should have been the top film and limited release on last week's show, but that information was not provided in time for me to include them on the chart. It's number three with $392,000, but it is on the limited release chart this week. At number four is The Quiet Girl, playing in 234 theaters for a total of $207,000. And then at number five was a theatrical exhibition of the UFC 286 event. It played in 347 theaters for a total of $132,000. Looking at the limited release top 10 grocers for this calendar year, so every ticket sold since January 1st, Patan remains an easy number one, $17.4 million. A Man Called Auto is at number two for its run in limited release. Women Talking stays at number three. The Wandering Earth is at number four. The Whale is at number five. The 2023 Oscar shorts are at six. Living is at number seven. Walter Viraya is at number eight. Fear is at number nine. And then making the top 10 list of limited grocers this year is Tujuthi Main Makar. It's at just over $2 million and it knocks Skinamarink out of the top 10. Of course, many theaters who are playing these limited release films are independent theaters, and I've started a new feature where I like to showcase an independent theater each week, and so many of you have sent me some great suggestions of independent theaters for me to feature here on the show, and I'm super excited about this week's theater. It's called The Vogue Theater in Manistee, Michigan. It is the only movie theater in Manistee County, population 25,350. The movie theater was built in 1938, but closed 
closed down in 2005. However, it was bought out of bankruptcy by the Manistee Downtown Development Authority and sold to a newly formed nonprofit organization that had the mission of renovating and reopening the theater. Over $2 million was raised, and in late 2013, the theater reopened its doors once again with two screens for people to enjoy movies on. Those two screens are the only two that are servicing the 25,000 residents of Manistee County and the 6,300 residents of Manistee proper. This week, you can catch their weekly $2 classic, Only Angels Have Wings. They do this every single week. Every Wednesday, you can see a classic film for $2, or you can go see Shazam! Fury of the Gods and everything everywhere all at once. Peak ticket prices at the Vogue Theater, 8 bucks, and you can't beat that, except for spring break week, because starting on Friday, Vogue is doing their spring break week. Check this out for the kids that are out of school. Four movies showing every day for the week of spring break. Matilda the Musical, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Bad Guys, and Megan are screening free every single day. All you have to do is show up for a ticket up to 24 hours before showtime, and you can spend an entire day at the movies seeing these movies for free. The Vogue is a 501c3 nonprofit, and you can support the Vogue Theater at VogueTheaterManistee.org. And also starting this week and then going retroactively back to the theaters that I have featured on the show so far, 10% of the ad revenue from every Charts with Dan video will also be going to these theaters, most of which are run by nonprofit organizations. So the Vogue Theater in Manistee, Michigan, go catch some free movies over the weekend or catch the Best Picture winner. Great ticket prices, and if you decide to check it out, as always, tell them Dan sent you. Let's break out of the confines of the domestic box office and look at the top five movies internationally. So these are all markets that are not the U.S. or Canada. At number one was Shazam! Fury of the Gods with a reported $34.6 million outside of the domestic markets, followed by Post Truth out of China with $18.3 million, then Creed 3 with another $12 million, Scream 6 with $11.3 million, and then Suzume at number five. It already has taken Japan's box office by storm. It's a huge box office hit in South Korea, and it'll be opening in many other markets around the world in the weeks to come. It's opening here in the United States in April, so that's a movie that I can't wait to see because the buzz has been going on about that movie for a while. It banked $6.9 million over this past weekend. When we combine the international numbers and the domestic numbers, we get our top five movies worldwide. Shazam! Fury of the Gods is number one with $64.7 million, followed by Scream 6 at $28.6 million, Creed 3 at $27.3 million, Post Truth at 18.3 million and 65 at 10.9 million. Not much has changed in the 2023 worldwide box office chart. Full River Red, The Wandering Earth 2, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, still make up the top three. Creed 3 moves up one spot with a gross approaching $225 million to take the number four spot. Boonie Bear's Guardian Code drops down to number five. Megan, Hidden Blade, and Deep Sea take up those six, seven, and eight spots. Scream 6 is in addition to the chart at number nine with $115.8 million total. Patan drops down one spot to number 10 and dropping off of the list is Cheburashka. This is the part of the show where I like to take a look at a weekend from box office history, but also take a moment to pay tribute to people who have had a lasting impact in the world of film and television. And there are a couple of names that I wanted to highlight this week. The first is Tom Joyner, who was the first assistant director on my favorite movie of all time, Jaws. And one reason that I wanted to highlight Tom Joyner is not just because he worked on my favorite movie, but because the jobs that he did, first assistant director and later as a unit production manager, are some of the most under 
underappreciated jobs for any movie or TV production. The first assistant director's job is to keep things running on schedule. And you can imagine on Jaws, one of the most delayed productions of all time, that Tom Joyner's job was not easy. He then went on to be unit production manager for a number of films. And the unit production manager is somebody who's in a very difficult position because they are tasked with a lot of the budgets and making sure that the crew's staying on budget and the camera crew has everything they need and you're not running over and sometimes you're between the studio and the creatives. It is a necessary position, but not always a popular position. I've worked on several productions. It is not an easy job and Tom Joyner made a career out of it. In addition to being the first AD on Jaws, he would go on to be the unit production manager on movies including The Blues Brothers, Jaws 2, Predator 2, and John Carpenter's Starman. And in 1998, he was awarded the DGA's Frank Capra Award for Lifetime Achievement as an Assistant Director slash UPM. Another name that really came out of the blue, this is a very sudden death, was Lance Reddick, who was an incredibly prolific actor. It's, it's almost easier to list what he hasn't been in, but in part, after an already impressive TV career, he broke out as Cedric Daniels on HBO's The Wire. He had a small but memorable role on the TV show Lost, followed by a series-long run on Fox's Fringe, and then dozens of TV and movie appearances, including his role as the hotel manager in all four John Wick movies. He will appear in this week's John Wick Chapter 4, as well as its spinoff film Ballerina, starring Ana de Armas. He's also appearing in the Disney Plus Percy Jackson and the Olympian series, and the upcoming remake of White Man Can't Jump, among many other projects. Lance Reddick, for me, had what you would call a singular presence, an authority as an actor that not a whole lot of actors have. You could almost feel when he walked on screen, and I think that he gave respectability, and oftentimes even in comedy roles, uh, just this sort of a dramatic heft to everything that he appeared in. And it's so sad to know that there's only a small handful of projects left that we get to see him in, so Lance Reddick will be missed, Tom Joyner will be missed, two people that in very different ways made a huge impact on movies and television, and as always, my thoughts go out to their friends, family, and fans. Let's look at a weekend in box office history now, and we're going back to the 11th weekend of the year back in 1992, March 13th through the 15th, which saw Wayne's World at the top of the charts in its fifth week of release, an increase of 0.7% in business. That's how the box office used to work many, many moons ago. $8.4 million total. Opening at number two was My Cousin Vinny with $7.4 million. A year later, Marissa Tomei would pull off one of the most shocking Oscar upsets in the history of the awards for Best Supporting Actress. At number three was The Lawnmower Man in its second week of release, a 30.9% drop for a $5.3 million total. At number four was the Edward James Almost film American Me, which he starred in and also directed. This is a film that generated great controversy when it came out. And then at number five, Fried Green Tomatoes, bringing in $3.3 million in its 12th week of release. But you know what we like to do here on the show? When we're looking at box office numbers from many, many years ago, we like to adjust for inflation. And when we hit that inflation button, we see that Wayne's World brought in a week five total of over $18 million. Imagine a comedy doing that right now. My Cousin Vinny debuting to $15.9 million. The Lawnmower Man with a second week of $11.4 million. American Me's debut at $7.2 million. And Fried Green Tomatoes in week 12, bringing in $7.1 million. Lots more to get to, but before we do, I want to thank the other sponsor for today's show, Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1. One thing that's hard to do, is just about anybody can tell you, is to start new habits and get into a new routine. And I certainly struggle with that, especially when it comes to things like taking vitamins and daily supplements. But something that I do every day 
is eat breakfast. That's what makes AG1 from Athletic Greens such a great incorporation into my day because when I make my breakfast shake every morning, it makes me feel like I'm getting my nutritional bases covered, starting my day off right, and it's so easy. The biggest thing that AG1's helped me with is improved digestion and gut health, but it's also good to know that I'm giving my body the things that it needs, and that's what AG1 was designed for. It was designed to help you live easier and better without having to change a whole lot. AG1 is one scoop of powder mixed with water once a day, or like I said, you can incorporate it into something like a breakfast shake, and it makes it easy to live your best life. Every scoop is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, and it's delivered to me every month. So it's not just that starting a new habit is easy, but keeping it is even easier. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com Dan, D-A in that's athleticgreens.com slash dan to check it out before we go as always let's take a moment to look at what people are watching at home through various different streaming services and we will start as we always do with the itunes charts at number one is the whale which is now available for both purchase and rental that's why it has that new tag there and it's the most rented and watched movie on the itunes charts as of yesterday march 20th at number two is Cocaine Bear, which is available for both purchase and premium video on demand. A Man Called Auto now available for purchase and rental at number three. Everything Everywhere All at Once, which won't be available for rent for a while because of a pre-existing deal that it has with its streaming window and where it is right now. But even though it's available only for purchase, still good enough for number four on the iTunes chart. A bundled version of John Wick chapters one through three that are available for purchase for 15 bucks is good enough to land that at number five on the iTunes charts, followed by The Ritual Killer staying on the chart at number six only the brave at number seven this is joseph kosinski's firefighter drama from a few years ago i have no idea why it's on this chart but as always when i usually don't know why a movie's on the chart i'm just gonna say tiktok at number eight is supercell a weather disaster movie that was shot back in 2021 that stars skeet ulrich the late ann Hache, and alec baldwin so not the most blessed production there. At number nine is Missing, available for purchase. And then at number 10 is the Logan Paul YouTube Red movie, The Thinning, which came out back in 2016. Again, I, I just got to go with TikTok. I have no reason why this movie would be at number 10, but right there it is, rounding out that top 10. Let's look now at the most watched programs on Netflix, which I measure using my custom global neural metric. It basically spits out a number I call the PFV number or potential finished views. I take the runtime of a program, I divide it by the length, and it gives me the number of Netflix users that could potentially have finished viewing that movie or series. I think it just kind of puts everything on an even playing field. At number one is Luther the Fallen Sun with a PFV of 30.52, meaning 30.52 million users could potentially have finished viewing Luther the Fallen Sun. The Netflix limited series MH370, The Plane That Disappeared, is at number two with a PFE of 23.03. At number three is Chris Rock's Selective Outrage, a stand-up special that generated a PFE of 17.79. The Netflix movie Far Away is at number four with a PFE of 12.05. You Season 4 debuted new episodes and comes in at number five with a PFE of 9.25 that is probably diluted a bit because this is measured against the entire season, but because Netflix doesn't show how many people watch the new episodes versus how many people were watching some of the old ones, then I have to measure it against the runtime of the entire series. We ran into this with Stranger Things as well. This will kind of depress the numbers for you season four for a while, but in the long run, they recover and we get an idea of how many people watch the entire run 
of the series. At number six is season two of Sex Life. At number seven, the first season of the Netflix series The Glory, season one with a PFE of 8.82. Love at First Kiss is at number eight. We Have a Ghost is at number nine. And Outer Banks season three is at number 10. Looking at the most watched Netflix programs for the year to date, meaning since January 1st, You People is still at number one with a PFE of 76.61, followed by Your Place or Mine with a PFE of 72.88. Jenny and George's season two is at number three. Wednesday, still there at number four with a PFE of 50.11 just since January 1st. The Pale Blue Eye moves up one spot to number five. We Have a Ghost moves up one spot to number six. Glass Onion stays at number seven. Outer Banks season three enters the chart with a PFE of 30. 34.08. Viking Wolf is at number nine with a PFE of 33.64. And then U season four drops down the chart a significant amount again because we added the runtime of all of these new episodes, but it's going to climb back up those charts as people continue to watch those new episodes. So that is a temporary depression there for U season four. Dropping off the chart after a very limited stay is the Netflix original series Murdaugh Murders, which I imagine had a fairly short shelf life. Finally, let's look at the Nielsen numbers. As always, we have to add some caveats. These numbers are about a month old. They don't measure all devices and they are the US only, but it's the best thing that we have to help us rate how different streaming services and movies and series are rating against each other. Looking first at the most watched streaming movies for the week of February 13th through the 19th. At number one is Your Place or Mine with 15.9 million hours watched. The Woman King comes in in second place with 12.2 million hours watched as it debuted on Netflix. Black Panther Wakanda Forever's at number three with 9.6 million hours watched, followed by Two Guns, also debuting on Netflix and exactly tied as far as hours watched with Wakanda Forever. Minions The Rise of Gru is at number five. Lyle Lyle Crocodile debuts on the chart with just over 5 million hours watched. 47 meters down, Uncaged on Netflix debuts with 4.5 million hours. You People is at number eight. Moana and Encanto on Disney Plus round out the top 10. They are basically the placeholders when we don't have a whole lot of new movies coming out. The most popular movies on Disney Disney Plus by far consistently week to week. Looking at the 10 most watched streaming shows for the week of February 13th to the 19th, You on Netflix is at number one with 24.5 million hours watched, followed by New Amsterdam on both Netflix and Peacock with 17.5 million hours watched. The Last of Us on HBO Max is at number three with 15.7 million hours watched. Again, with the caveat, this is only people watching on HBO Max. This does not include people that are watching on linear HBO on cable. NCIS is at number four, Coco Melon at number five, Bluey on Disney Plus, a new fixture in the top 10 is at number six. The Walking Dead's at number seven. Grey's Anatomy is at number eight. South Park, and it's somewhat exclusive deal. There's actually a lawsuit about this right now, but with new episodes premiering, makes the top 10 on HBO Max with 9.4 million hours watched. And then at number 10 is The Big Bang Theory, which seems to swap spots with friends every week with 8.8 million hours watched. Looking at all of the top 20 streaming shows with watch time per available episode, The Last of Us easily dominates yet again in the number one spot. 2.62 million hours watched per episode with six episodes available when this data was collected. Perfect Match is at number four with 1.98 million and four available episodes. Poker Face at number three with one million hours watched and seven episodes available. Full Swing on Netflix is at number four. Physical 100 is at number five. You is at number six. Wednesday still in the top 10 at number seven. Coco Melons at number eight. My Dad the Bounty Hunter returns to the chart for a second week. 620,000 hours watched per episode for 10 episodes at number nine. And Ginny and Georgia rounds out the top 10 with 300 41,000 hours watched per episode.
And that wraps us up for charts this week, looking at the week ahead and what people have to watch in theaters and at home. Starting tomorrow on Wednesday in limited release is the Louis Tomlinson documentary, All of Those Voices, which you can find in theaters around the country. And then on Friday, John Wick Chapter 4 opens wide. You will see a review of that movie right here on the channel later this week. The Lost King opens in limited release on Friday. It's also open in some markets internationally, starring Sally Hawkins, Steve Coogan, and Harry Lloyd. A good Person, which is the next film from director Zach Braff, opens in limited release on Friday, starring Florence Pugh and Morgan Freeman. Tori and Lokita, which is from French directors Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardenne, opens in limited release on Friday. Also on Friday, for people watching stuff at home, Yellow Jacket Season 2, the second season of the Buzzy Showtime series, premieres. Love is Blind, the first four episodes of Season 4, premiere on Netflix this Friday. Then on Sunday, the new Paramount Plus series starring Kiefer Sutherland, Rabbit Hole, makes its debut. The Hulu six-episode limited series adaptation of Charles Dickens' Great Expectations debuts on Sunday. And then on HBO, Sunday night, Succession, the final season, season four, makes its debut. I'm super excited about that. I'm thinking about doing a recap show of that here on the channel. I'm not quite sure yet. I don't know if the audience is going to be there. What do you think? Should I do a succession recap show? Let me know down in the comments below. And that does it for Charts with Dan this week. Thank you to my sponsors, Athletic Greens and Babbel, and of course my partners at Carbon Health. But most of all, thank you for taking the time to spend some of your day here with me. I'll be back very soon later this week with more movie news reviews, box office, and more. Until then, stay safe, and I'll see you next time. Bye.